Today you were supposed to hear a sermon about a miraculous prison break from the book of Acts. You were supposed to hear about the bold preaching of the gospel in the face of opposition. But in the Lord's providence, you'll hear a sermon from me instead of Pastor Brian. You'll hear a sermon from a letter from a brother in prison under house arrest. There is no miraculous jailbreak today. It's a letter from a brother who was first a persecutor of the church before he became a preacher of the gospel. So if you have your Bible, please do open to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. At the Choithrums down the street from my house, there's a community bulletin board. Now on this board, there's flyers for lost pets, maid services, tutoring opportunities, furniture for sale, apartments for rent. If you name it, it's probably on this community bulletin board. What if Covenant Hope Church had a bulletin board with the most important priorities of the church displayed for all to see. What would be on that community bulletin board? Maybe our music style. Songs that we sing and songs that we don't sing. What about our community, our fellowship with one another, our life-on-life discipling? Maybe the preaching style. We preach through books of the Bible. We preach verse by verse. The main message of our sermons is the main message that you find in the text in front of you. Or what about small groups, whether we have them or don't? Maybe it's the way we do inductive Bible studies or how we do church membership. What would be at the very center of that bulletin board? Friends, the main idea of this sermon is that the church must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. The church must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. You could say the main idea like this also. Elders must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. Or you could say managers must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. Housemates must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. And mothers and salesmen and you, Leke Abaniwanda, must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. Or insert your name here. Everybody here in this building must place the advancement of the gospel at the center of our lives. Because, friends, we don't have the right to act like a community bulletin board. We don't actually get to decide what's at the center of our church. The church exists to hold up the gospel so obviously that all can see it. We must not allow anything in our churches to compete with the advancement of the gospel. So how do we put the advancement of the gospel at the center? 
If you look in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, Paul gives us two ways to place the advancement of the gospel at the center. First, Paul says, reflect on God's purposes in affliction. Reflect on God's purposes in affliction. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers. Now this is more than just a news report from Paul. This is news that Paul wants them to ponder. And his, his news is unexpected. It's, it's surprising. It's astonishing. What is it? That what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Now the Philippian church, they knew what had happened to Paul. He was in prison. It was probably in Rome. And they had actually sent him a care package through a brother named Epaphroditus. They shared in his trouble through financial partnership. In fact, they were one of the only churches to do so. They knew about Paul's imprisonment. But they didn't know the result of Paul's imprisonment. We might expect Paul to inform the church about his suffering. But his circumstances are mentioned only in passing. You see, what's important to Paul, what he wants them to ponder, is how he views what happened to him. Paul looks past his Roman imprisonment and his inability to publicly preach the gospel. And what does he see? He sees the sovereign hand of God at work. Here is Paul's paradigm. The normal pattern for the Christian life according to the Apostle Paul. Suffering for the gospel is normal. And suffering for the gospel advances the gospel. You see, Paul's imprisonment was meant as an obstacle for the gospel. It was a barrier. It was supposed to be a hindrance. But that's not what really happened. No, instead of weighing the gospel down where no one could see it, Paul's imprisonment lifted the gospel high for all to see. Paul wants them to think about this unexpected advancement. They need to ponder it. I don't know if you know, but today is a holiday across the world. It's one of my favorite ones, actually. Today is Reformation Day, October 31st. Today actually marks the 503rd anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Almost 500 years ago, Martin Luther and John Calvin and others recovered the gospel. Because the Roman Catholic Church had suppressed the gospel behind a sacramental, external, man-made religion. But the Reformers recovered key ideas like Scripture alone. Scripture was the final authority for the church, not the Pope. They recovered the idea that we are justified before God by faith alone, not by the act of baptism at birth. And they taught that we're saved by grace alone, not by any works that we do. They taught that Christ alone is the mediator between God and man, not an elaborate system of priests and sacramental works set up by the Roman Catholic Church. 
And finally, they taught that we exist for God's glory alone, not our own. Aren't you glad for the Reformation? Now, you might expect that the church received this teaching with open arms and glad hearts, but that, that wasn't the case. About ten years after Martin Luther sparked the Reformation, a brother named William Tyndale finished translating the Bible into English. William began smuggling it from Germany into England through bales of cloth, but the Roman Catholic Church violently opposed his work. They gathered any copies that they found, and they burned them along with their owners. I mean, put yourself in William's shoes. If, if tonight you knew that you'd be burned alive for just a copy of an English Bible, what would you do? In 1536, William Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, and he was burned at the stake. In his last breath, he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Now, in William Tyndale's wildest dreams, could he have imagined how God would use his affliction, his death, for the advancement of the gospel? Many of you have actually come to faith reading an English Bible. Praise God that one man was willing to burn so that we could have God's Word in our own language. But suffering for the gospel does not always look like imprisonment and death. One pastor, Burke Parsons, in the United States, he gave up his spot on the Backstreet Boys for a call to ministry. He was 16. He left the fame and the riches of the world for the work of a pastor. Now, Christians around him at the time, they told him, Burke, you're crazy. What are you doing? You'll have such influence, success. You'll have a microphone to the whole world to share about Jesus Christ. They thought he was crazy. What possible reason could a 16-year-old have for leaving one of the most popular boy bands in the entire world. But Burke was convinced of something, and that was that he couldn't follow God and the world. Sometimes suffering for the gospel looks like giving up fame for faithfulness. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Every Christian must die to themselves. Every Christian carries a cross, but not every cross looks the same. Paul was actually the most unlikely model for carrying a cross. Do you remember who Paul was before he became a Christian? Paul was a Pharisee. It meant he was an expert in the law. It also meant that he was one of the chief opponents of Jesus Christ. He hated Christ. He believed that Christ was dead, that he died on the cross, but that he did not rise from the grave, and so he became a persecutor of the church. Paul hated Christians. So how in the world does someone transition from persecutor to preacher? It was on the road to Damascus. 
He was actually on his way to imprison Christians when he was confronted with the gospel, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul believed. Paul was baptized. And immediately after, Paul became a preacher of the gospel. Now, we just had our elder installation service. Maybe this is what Paul's was like. Listen to what Jesus said to Paul. He said, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus actually promised suffering for Paul. And that promise was not a punishment for Paul. That was not Paul's perspective. Paul considered suffering for Christ a privilege. And Paul suffered. We need to reflect on God's purposes in affliction. And it's important as we think about this to note the kind of affliction Paul's referencing. Every human being suffers. Christians and non-Christians get cancer. Everyone gets in car accidents. All of us lose our loved ones. We would do well to reflect on God's purposes in all affliction, pain, frustration, conflict, setbacks, difficulties, hurt, disappointment, sorrows, unmet expectations, strained relationships. God is using every single one of these for our good and for His glory. But don't miss the affliction that Paul is primarily referring to. He's primarily talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel. Listen to what Jesus said about you and me. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Friend, is Christ's love so wonderful to you that you're prepared to be hated by the world? If you're a Christian, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, not even the sword. But Jesus doesn't only promise us affliction from the world. Listen again to what Jesus said about us. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will, ra- will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Is your adoption by God so certain to you that you're ready to lose your immediate family for the sake of Jesus Christ? Christian, you've been adopted by God into a new family. A family that you can never lose, the church. Have you decided today to suffer for Jesus Christ? you need to reflect on God's purposes in affliction. And this is why we need to reflect on the gospel every single day. I know some of you might not consider yourself a sinner. 
you know many people that are worse than you, and you have better morals than them. You're, you're kinder than them. You do the right thing most of the time, and when you do bad things, they're not that bad. But the Bible presents a different picture of each of us. The Bible says that we're sinners because we've all despised and rejected Jesus Christ. We hid our faces from Him. We were blinded by our sin like the Apostle Paul. Sin is finding anything in the world, anything, your children, your spouse, money, your job, anything pleasurable, anything more beautiful than Jesus Christ. Sin is treasuring anything in your life more than God. It's placing anything other than God at the center of your life. You and I are sinners, and we need a Savior, and we are sinners who don't deserve a Savior. So why then would God send us a Savior in Jesus Christ? This, my friends, is called grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that reconciles sinners through Jesus Christ. It's a favor that we can't earn, but it's one that Jesus Christ did because in his life he was always perfectly obedient. In his death, he actually bore our sins on the cross and took on God's wrath in our place. And in his resurrection, he conquered sin and he conquered Satan and death once and for all so that we could be forgiven. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus was crushed for our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He took the oppression and the affliction and the judgment that we deserved. And this was actually God's purpose in Christ's affliction. Our salvation. If you're not a Christian, Jesus is worthy of your worship. He's alive today and He reigns as your king. You can actually be forgiven of your sin if you repent and you believe in Jesus Christ. And Christians, reflecting on the gospel actually reminds us that God used the cross, the worst affliction possible for our salvation. So we know that God will only use our affliction for the advancement of the gospel. God's purposes in Paul's imprisonment was the advancement of the gospel. And notice there's two results of the advancement of the gospel that Paul mentions. Look at verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. There's that first result. The first result was that non-Christians heard the gospel. The imperial guard was made up of almost 10,000 soldiers in Rome, and Paul was guarded around the clock by these soldiers. They were keeping him from preaching the gospel in public, but they could not stop him from preaching the gospel in prison. Paul probably didn't share the gospel with all 10,000 soldiers, but it's likely that the news of Paul's story spread like wildfire throughout the prison. The soldiers were gossiping the gospel story to one another. 
And the reason for Paul's imprisonment could not be just contained in prison. Look at the rest of verse 13. And to all the rest, there was a ripple effect. Perhaps the gospel spread to other officials who were involved in preparing Paul's trial. Paul's not specific, but whatever happened, if you heard about Paul's imprisonment, you would have heard about the reason for Paul's imprisonment. For Christ. Paul was not in prison for stealing. He was not in prison for tax evasion or murder. He was in prison for his faith and proclamation of the resurrected Christ. This was the first result of Paul's imprisonment. Non-Christians heard the gospel. This was unexpected. And the second result is surprising as well. Christians preached the gospel. Non-Christians were not the only ones that were affected by Paul's imprisonment. Christians in Rome were growing in their confidence in the Lord. And the instrument that God used to achieve this was Paul's imprisonment. Now, we'd expect Christians in Rome to be timid after the Apostle Paul was in prison. But actually, the opposite happens. Their boldness increases. They dare even more to speak the Word. Paul recognizes something here. God did not sideline him. That's not what happened. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. Paul's affliction was a prod for the bold preaching of the Gospel. And I wonder, what will it take in our lives for God to make us bold with the gospel? Perhaps the Lord will send us persecution and lock up our pastors in jail and in that moment empower us by the Holy Spirit to boldly and fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel no matter the cost. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but today, while we have the freedom to preach the gospel, let's use our freedom to make Christ known. It's time to call up that friend and invite them over for dinner so you can share the gospel with them. It's time for your colleagues at work to hear the gospel from your lips. It's time for your family members to hear about the gospel. You may face affliction, brothers and sisters, but God means to use your affliction for the advancement of the gospel. How did God use Paul's imprisonment? It was in unexpected ways. Non-Christians heard the gospel and Christians preached the gospel. Are you ever shocked by God's mysterious methods? There's still some surprises left in this passage because when we look at the motives of these bold preachers, we find that some of them preached out of love for Paul, while others preached out of a desire to rub salt in his wound. Read verses 15 through 17 again with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There are some bold preachers in Rome with good motives. 
they have good intentions. They want to help. These brothers and sisters love Paul. And they know that he's been stationed in prison. He's been appointed by God. Notice that. Not for the advancement. It says for the defense of the gospel. Paul's going to defend the gospel at the highest level of the empire. They know that this is God's plan. And this is God's purpose. Perhaps they even realize Paul can't publicly preach the gospel anymore. We need to step up. We need to help him. But in the midst of this revival, there was another group of preachers. There was a group of bold preachers with bad motives. They preach, Paul says, out of envy and rivalry. Notice both of these traits are listed by Paul in Galatians as the works of the flesh. These preachers are petty, territorial, they're calculating. They are sad when good things happen to others. They're happy when imprisonment happens to Paul. Now we need to figure out who these jealous preachers are. It's important to know a couple things about them. One is, they are not false teachers and they're not heretics. They're not those who preach another Christ or another gospel. Because we remember what Paul says about those people. Paul would say, let them be accursed. But look what Paul calls these preachers. He calls them brothers. So Paul's not commending just any preacher who preaches Christ. He's not commending the Mormon Jesus or the Jehovah's Witness Jesus or the Prosperity Gospel Jesus. Paul is certainly concerned with which Jesus we proclaim. So if these preachers are not false teachers, who are they? These preachers were most likely a faction in the church. They affirmed Paul's gospel, but they were jealous of Paul's ministry. They preached about Christ while they were thinking about Paul. You see, they were threatened by Paul's ministry because they were self-centered in their own ministry. They probably saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity for their own advancement. But more than that, we even see their goal. Their goal was to kick Paul while he's down. They wanted to give him trouble. This trouble could have been in, the, in terms of harsher treatment by the Roman authorities. Maybe they hoped that Paul would get a few extra beatings for their boldness. The trouble could have also been in terms of emotional anguish. Maybe they hoped Paul would feel like a failure because he couldn't preach the gospel publicly, but they could. Either way, it's hard to say, but one thing is clear. The people behind Paul's afflictions were not just the Romans. It was his own brothers and sisters in Christ. Outwardly, these two groups looked exactly the same. They both preached Christ. They were both bold. The difference was in their heart. It was in their motivation. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you sing? Why, why do you meet with other Christians to study the Bible with them? Why do you share the Gospel? Because we need to examine our motives. There's actually a spiritual danger when you do good. It's possible to do Christian activity in the flesh. Now, if you're one of those people who are obeying Christ for the approval of man, 
Let me speak to you for just a moment. People need a Savior. And it's not you. So who is, all, who is this all about? Let the Gospel refresh you. Because the influence that God's given you, the grace that He's given you, the gifts He's given you, He's given you all of them for His glory. And He sees through all the show, all the mixed motivations. He does not need you to be impressive to anybody. He doesn't need you to be the next Paul. You have all the approval that you need because you are approved because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Take Paul's perspective. It was so much bigger than his own apostleship. He didn't care about who preached the Gospel. What he cared about was that the Gospel was preached. Even, and this is what's shocking, even if that meant his affliction. Let's learn from Paul. And let's reflect on God's purposes in affliction. This is how we place the gospel at the center of the church. And there's a second way that we can do this in verse 18. Rejoice in every advancement of the gospel. That's the second way. Rejoice in every advancement of the gospel. Now look at Paul's incredible response to affliction. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What difference does it make to Paul that there are some preachers who are self-centered in their preaching? What difference does it make to him that they're actually trying to hurt him in prison? It makes Paul no difference. The advancement of the gospel was more important to Paul than his own reputation. It was more important to him than his own feelings. He rejoices at every advancement of the gospel. And Paul's example is clear to us. Place the advancement of the gospel at the center of your life. So if you see other Christians who are flourishing spiritually while you're actually experiencing afflictions for Christ, Paul's response is rejoice in God. When you see other churches that are growing, when maybe your own church is floundering, rejoice in God. What if we are praying for revival? We're praying for a move of God in our church and then God actually sends it to the church down the hall. That should be a reason for our joy too. Now this theme of joy, if you read the book of Philippians tonight, you'll see joy throughout the entire book. It's tied directly to the advancement of the gospel. So we should rejoice in the gospel advancing among every nation and among every people group and among every church and every denomination. So we should pray. Let's pray for more gospel preaching Presbyterian churches. Let's pray for more gospel preaching Anglican churches and more gospel preaching Baptist churches and more gospel preaching charismatic churches. Let's pray for more gospel preaching churches. Because what does it reveal about us? 
if we cannot rejoice in the gospel advancing outside our own church or our own tribe. Friends, that's rivalry. And it's envy. It's works of the flesh that need to be repented of. Love and goodwill are works of the Spirit that we need to pray for. And this is only possible if the advancement of the gospel is at the center of our lives. What's at the center of your life? If your life was a bulletin board posted for all the world to see, what would be at the center? Is it making money? Or maybe your investments? Or your desire to get married? Or your desire to start a family? Or you want to travel more? Maybe it's moving into the perfect housing situation? Or the desire to see your grandchildren grow up, or the desire to get a better job. You know none of these things are bad. But the problem becomes when the advancement of the gospel gets pushed to the margins of our lives, squeezed out when it's altogether non-existent. If you're a member of this church, let me ask you, what are your aspirations for Covenant Hope Church? What excites you about this church? What consumes your thoughts about this church? Is it a particular translation of the Bible? Or maybe it's the types of songs we sing? Or whether or not our church has small groups? In what ways do your aspirations confess the centrality of the gospel and its advancement for this church? The church must place the advancement of the gospel at the center. Friends, there's a day coming soon when Jesus will come back and the opportunity to preach the gospel to non-Christians will cease. Because the commission that we've received from Christ, the one that Paul gave his life to, it has an expiration date. For on that day when Christ returns, He will judge the living and the dead. So until then, let's march on for the sake of the gospel in enemy land. We know that Satan will certainly harm us, that we will face opposition, but we trust that Christ will build his church, and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have you made up your mind to place the advancement of the gospel at the center of your life? Are you ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Reflect on God's purposes in affliction and rejoice in every advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray for help. Would you help us make the advancement of the gospel, the center of our church. We pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.